Do you hear me now? Yeah, yeah. Audio's all set. Okay, cool. You will only record audio, no video, okay? Because <laughs> I didn't shave, you know. <laughs> Hello, Slavic Connection listeners. My name is Colin, and I'm your host for today. We had Mikhail Kashinian. He's a historian at the Institute of the History of Slovak Academy of Sciences. He recently just published a book titled Milan Rastislav Stefanik, the Slovak national hero and co-founder of Czechoslovakia. It's a super interesting book about an often forgotten figure, the third co-founder of Czechoslovakia, his life, his times, his sort of meteoric rise, its sudden end, and then how he's been remembered going forward. And if any of that sounds interesting to you, I'm sure you'll enjoy the episode. It's not a typical you're listening to the Slavic Connection, brought to you by the Center for Russian, East European, and Eurasian Studies at the University of Texas at Austin. Dr. Shinyan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you very much. I am really excited to be your guest. Yeah, just to start, I wanted to ask you if you wouldn't mind telling our viewers a little bit about who you are and what, uh, what they're in for. With great pleasure. So I'm from Slovakia and I did my MA in history and French language and literature at Comenius University in Bratislava. Then I did my second MA at Sorbonne University in contemporary Central European history. And afterwards, I did a joint PhD degree between Sorbonne and Institute of History of the Slovak Academy of Sciences. And I defended if I remember it well, in 2011. And since then, I'm working in the Institute of History of the Slovak Academy of Sciences. And recently, one and a half year ago, I was elected member of the board of the Slovak Academy of Sciences. So now I have more administrative tasks, <laughs> but I still try to do some work of historia. So I, I'm still writing, but it's, it's going a little bit slower than before. Well, uh, congratulations on the administrative responsibilities. I don't know whether there is something to, <laughs> to congratulate on, but thank you. Thank you anyway. So is your is the research that you have time to do now similar to what you did in your um, studies? It's linked because I recently published Stefanik's biography and it's linked somehow because Stefanik was really active. He traveled all around the world. He was active in France, Italy, Romania, etc. And now I'm writing project proposal on crossing of military cultures. Stefanik, he was a general of French army. So I'm interested how those connections within armies change the military cultures in France, Poland, Czechoslovakia, Serbia, Yugoslavia, Romania, Italy. So this is linked somehow. So you have mentioned the figure I think we'll be spending quite a bit of the podcast talking about today, Milan Rastislav Stefanik. For our listeners at home who may not be familiar with who that is, would you mind giving us a brief overview of the man, the myth, the, the Slovak legend himself? Yeah, yes. Well, in Slovakia, he's always seen as, or not always, but often seen as the Slovak national hero, while abroad is not that much known. Maybe, maybe in, Czech, in Czech Republic, yes, but in Europe and or in other countries in the world, he is rather unknown. And... Uh, well, so he was born in 1880 in a little village in Upper Hungary, today's Slovakia. 
Then he studied astronomy in Prague. He did his doctoral degree at what is today Charles University and already the choice of astronomy was pretty much in line with his romantic views of the world. He always liked great ideas. And after the end of his studies in Prague, he left for Paris for the cultural capital of the world. And he started to work as astronomer. It was not a paid job, but he still worked as astronomer and he mainly observed the solar eclipses. And solar eclipses was able to observe from another part of the world. So he had to travel a lot and he went to Asia, to Spain, to Brazil, Bavao Island, and so on and so forth. He, he really traveled all, all around the world and he tried to find a, a stable job in astronomy in France. But then he realized that it will not be as easy as he thought. And he did a great decision and he wanted to build his own observatory at Tahiti. And he managed to build it. I would say it was great, uh, great success because he emigrated to France in 1904. He was very poor. He didn't speak French or he speak very bad French. And within seven years, he was able to build his own observatory at Tahiti Island. The observatory cost around 250,000 francs. It was a lot of money, so he was able to borrow a lot of money and convince a lot of people to support his ideas. And but then he understood that to have only observatory, it won't be enough. And he wanted to join the observatory with the wireless telegraphy station. At the time, France was the only country with interest in Pacific Ocean. It didn't have wireless or telegraphy or regular telegraphic connection with its possessions all around the world. And Stefanik wanted to connect Tahiti with France. So he wanted to build a wireless telegraphy station. And uh, as usual, he was not satisfied with local solution. So he came with the, with the greatest solution. He wanted to create worldwide radio telegraphy uh, network that would connect all French colonies. And he did, uh, he had uh, some successes mainly in Ecuador, where he convinced local government to build a station on one of the Galapago Islands in order to connect Tahiti with Martinique, because it was a little bit where well, it was in the in the middle of these two French colonies. But then World War I started and it was drafted into infantry. But again, he didn't like common solutions. So he, he convinced his protectors and thanks to their interventions, they affected him into military aviation. In the French military? French military, yes. Sorry, okay. I, <laughs> maybe I forgot to say this. Since uh, 1912, he was already French citizen mm -hmm. because he lived in France since 1904. He was already he was already French citizen, so he started to do his military career as, as a military pilot. But again, he, he was also astronomer. He was also interested in weather forecast. So at the... And one part of French front that was under the command of General Foch, later became Marshal Foch, he created a military weather forecast. And again, like he was one of the pioneers of, of military weather forecast service in French army. And again, he was not satisfied with local solutions, so he wanted to create inter-ally military weather forecast. He knew meteorological stations in Russia, in Romania, in Greece, and in Italy. He wanted them to cooperate. But of course, he was Slovak and he was Slovak patriot. 
uh, he learned about activities of Tomasz Garig Masaryk, uh, who emigrated at the time from Austria-Hungary. And they started to cooperate. Tomasz Garig Masaryk, Edward Benesz, uh, Josef Dürich, but also Milan Rastislav Stefanik. And their main idea was to create so-called New Europe, mainly Czechoslovakia, and to destroy Austria-Hungarian Empire. They, they want to replace basically Austria-Hungary, but the chain of Slavic states, North Poland, in the middle Czechoslovakia, South Yugoslavia that was supposed to be linked with Czechoslovakia with so-called corridor. So it was their main idea. It was not as easy as it seems now because now we know what happened. But at the time they had to destroy the country that had for Austrian part, let's say 500 years of tradition and for Hungarian part, let's say 900 years of, of historical tradition. So it was not very easy. But Stefanik was a very interesting person and he had a lot of so-called soft skills as well. As I already mentioned, he was a military pilot. He traveled all around the world. He was a specialist in wireless telegraphy and he was a photographer. He collected a lot of ethnographical objects. For example, in French Polynesia, he found Gauguin's woodcrafts, etc. So his small apartment in Paris looked more like a museum than like a regular apartment he had there. He had there. Uh, flashes, weapons, uh, traditional clothes, etc., etc. So, the, uh, and and he was scientist, of course. The Third French Republic, the general image of of scientist was very positive. So, when such a person came into French or Italian saloons, he easily get the attention of French higher society or Italian higher society. And thanks to his skills, he was able to convince them to support Czechoslovak idea. Was a great storyteller. He was, of course, exaggerating. My favorite story is that uh, when the French government sent him to observe a solar eclipse in some remote island in French Polynesia, and he told uh, the chief of the local tribe that, my friend, we have a big problem. In two days, the sun is going to disappear. But no worries, no worries. French government is aware of its protective duties towards its citizens. And it's the French government is sending me and I will ensure that the sun is going to reappear again. And of course, in two days when the solar eclipse happened, well, everything happened as Stefani predicted and of the local tribe was amazed by this magician who was able to make disappear the sun and then again reappear. And uh, of course, we don't know now whether <laughs> it happened the way that Stefanik was telling it. And the people in the saloons, they knew it as well. But in the same time, they understood that there is a lot of experiences behind his sellings that he really observed the solar eclipse of this island, etc., etc. So there was a little bit of tension between the reality and between the exaggeration. No one really knew where to draw the line. But uh, of course, during the, the war, and especially during the World War, mainly the army that counts the most. And the idea of Stefani, of the whole Czechoslovak movement, uh, was to create Czechoslovak army that will fight on the side of Antant against Central Powers. And of course, the question was where to recruit those volunteers. And they had to recruit them among Austro-Hungarian prisoners of war of Czech and Slovak origin and they were mainly in Russia and in Italy, and also among Czech and Slovak compatriots abroad, and they were mainly in Russia and in the United States. And Stefanik, as he traveled before the war, he continued his travel also during the war. So he went to Italia, then Russia, then Romania, then back to Russia, 
and in the United States, <laughs> Italy, and then again to Russia. So he continued his travels. And finally, Czechoslovak movement was able to, to build or to create a so-called Czechoslovak army abroad, or as we are calling it, Czechoslovak legions in France, in Italy, and in Russia. Also, his military career was really amazing because within three and a half years, from simple soldier, he became general. But he was not promoted because of his military activities, but he was promoted in order to support his diplomatic position. He was able to join French and Czechoslovak interests, and this way he was able to gain the support of French or French government and they were promoting him very quickly. But we are approaching towards the end of his life because he died soon after the creation of Czechoslovakia in 1919 and he died in airplane crash on 4th May 1919 near Bratislava. There is a lot of conspiracy theories going around his death, whether his assassination was ordered by Benesh or by someone else. But serious historians are saying that it was just an airplane crash and we don't have any evidence that support any of these conspiracy theories. Of course, when I'm talking about Stefanik as the Slovak national hero and the book that I wrote that was published in, in English, his name is Milan Rasislav Stefanik, the Slovak national hero and co-founder of Czechoslovakia. So we have to also analyze this a little bit his historical memory. And of course, in interval Czechoslovakia, his cult, his historical memory was strongly built by the Czechoslovak state because he was one of the co-founders of, of Czechoslovakia. But this didn't last. After the communist takeover in Czechoslovakia in 1948, they started to erase Stefanik from, say, national memory. All his statues were destroyed. He was not mentioned in, in textbooks, etc., etc. But already during the Czechoslovak Spring in 1968-1969, it was obvious that this campaign failed when the censorship was abolished, the books on Stefanik were published, and mainly on 50th anniversary, 50th anniversary of his death in 1969, there was a lot of people came to Bradlow where he was buried and where he is still buried. And so it was obvious that this communist propaganda didn't succeed. But after the end of, uh, of the communism, he, there was a new, huge wave of interest on Stefanik. There were a lot of publications published on him, documentary movies, uh, fiction movies. And then in 2019, he was elected in the public poll, the greatest Slovak of Slovak history. And of course, as a historian, I have to put it in the context because in 2019, it was the 100th anniversary of his death. And in 2018, it was the 100th anniversary of the creation of Czechoslovakia. For and Slovaks for two years were listening to the state and media campaign that how Stefanik was important. So of course, this also influenced his victory, and this victory was pretty strong. It's interesting. I didn't realize that he'd been a pilot in the First World War. I knew the circumstances of his death, but that almost adds another layer to it that he. He knew his way around a plane. I'd never heard the the Benesh involvement conspiracy either. People like to have theories about plane crashes, I suppose. Yes, so we can mention General Sikorsky, Polish hero. He also died in airplane crash. And so it's really common to link those premature deaths with some conspiracy theories. Yeah, of course. So I have a few thoughts. I think my first question is sort of directed at the way that you gave his biography just now, that was very chronological. 
But in the book, you approach it a very different way. And I thought that was really interesting. And I would love if you could sort of talk about the methodology in your writing and why you chose to write the book in the way you did. And while explaining this, I should mention a little bit the historiography of writings on Stefanik. Well, as, as I mentioned already, communists didn't like his legacy because mainly he was one of the leaders of the Czechoslovak legions that fought against Bolsheviks in Russian civil war. And in general, communist regime didn't like the war, so-called bourgeois. So, and this campaign in historiography culminated with the publication of his biography by communist historian, uh, Ludovic Holotik. And he published his biography, I think, in, in the 50s, where he was very critical. He said that Stefanik was basically imperialist agent. And I don't mind that Holotik was critical towards Stefanik, but he was really biased. And then during the Czechoslovak spring, when the censorship was abolished, actually three biographies of Stefanik were written. A biography written by Jan Juricek that was also published in 1968. But two other biographies written by Stvartetsky and Linarik, they were published only after the end of communism, or in the case of, of Linarik, abroad. And basically, those three biographies were defending Stefanik against this communist approach of Ludovic Holoty. I should admit that, of course, they were good biographies and a lot of great heuristic work the authors done, but they were apologetical and flat. I mean, they were just like defending Stefanik and saying that Stefanik had good heart, etc., etc. I'm not saying that he had a bad heart, but I don't think that is something that historians should deal with. So I tried to approach Stefanik from different point of view. And my central question is how someone become national hero or the national hero. So when my case study is, is Stefanik, and well, I didn't want to give a chronological and flat and an apologetical response. So I used uh, analytical frameworks like Pierre Bourdieu's term of social capital in order to see how Stefanik was able to use his networks to maintain them and what were his strategies, etc. Then the second approach borrowed from Max Weber and his uh, theory on charismatic leader. So how Stefanik presented himself, because Stefanik put himself in the position of the mediator, that if you help me, you will help some great idea. Before the war, it was the science, and during the war, it was the birth of Czechoslovakia. So when I analyzed Stefanik through these lenses, then the third chapter, in the third chapter, I am using my more traditional political, military, and diplomatic history. Because, well, of course, what he did, his greatest achievement during his life was his contribution to the creation of Czechoslovakia, and it's linked to the political history. And in the last chapter, I'm dealing with his, with his historical memory, so how his legacy was used by different regimes, etc. So in other words, I tried to show Stefanik from different perspectives. So I don't want to offer just one story, but more stories. And I'm showing him in different lights, in different situations. I'm not saying that his behavior was coherent during his whole life. And so I want to show complex and also complete picture of Stefanik. I'm not saying that like everything in his life is in my book, <laughs> of course not. But I try to analyze everything what was important for his success or in general in his life. 
I get that sense from the book. You say in the introduction that you wanted to explicitly show the historian's work to the reader. And I feel like that's something that people try to hide often. They're like, no, just focus on my conclusions, not the work I did. But you wanted to really foreground that. Yes, because like mainly in contemporary history, we have so many sources and they're often contradictory. And I think historians should say that, okay, sometimes I don't know. People just think that, okay, you're a historian, you know everything about Stefanik or about Washington or whoever is your personality or writing on or topic or, or whatever. But we don't know everything. We know only the things that are in the archives or in the literature and the libraries. So our knowledge is limited. And I don't like the position of historians that are saying, oh, of course, we know everything. And sometimes we we can conclude something from small parts of information that we found in different archives, et cetera, et cetera. But sometimes we cannot be sure. But I think sometimes we have contradictory sources. And I think this and that because of this and this document, but it doesn't mean that my conclusion is definitive. So maybe in... 20 years, someone else will discover a document in some small local archives in Eastern Slovakia on Stefanik that will completely change our perception of Stefanik. That's, that's possible. And so I just wanted to show to the readers that our knowledge is limited and we should not hide it because I think it's very important. And also when we, because I gave a lot of public lectures on Stefanik. So when I don't know, I just, I'm sorry, I don't know. <laughs> I tried to find the answer. I tried my best, but I think we should be honest to the readers. I think we should be honest with our public to admit that we don't know everything. Sometimes it's difficult, but <laughs> I think we should do it. On what you were just saying, I'm, I'm interested in what the um, the last 30 years of, of public memory of Stephanie has been like. How has the Slovak government addressed him? How has he taught in schools? What do people generally, like people on the street, what do they think about him? Well, <laughs> it's, it's hard to say, but I think of course. in general, people, <laughs> like the majority of Slovaks, they know that he was pilot, that he was French general, that he was great hero, but that's basically it. So in general, people... They don't know a lot about their national history. So this is the first answer that I would give you. Then for common Slovak, he's not very much known. On the other hand, I think people that are interested in history and people that are educated, they know a lot about Stefanik. I was really impressed when I was giving public lectures on Stefanik, how critical people were towards Stefanik. They were not just defending. Some of them were defending because I tried to be critical as well to Stefanik. And some of them were, oh, you should not speak like this about our national hero. But the majority of them were very critical and they were asking great and interesting questions. So I was very happy that Slovaks were thinking really critically about Stefanik and they were thinking really critically about their own national history. That was great. And on the national level, I think that was great advantage. It was like, Finally, the thing that communists tried to destroy his memory, it only increased his popularity because he got this aura of personality that someone wanted to steal, like bad communist, because in general, communist period is not positively seen in Slovakia. So communists wanted to steal our national hero. And so now we have to fight even more in order to reserve his legacy. 
So this is one of the reasons why he is popular as he is now in today's Slovakia. And of course, we cannot speak about like 30 years as a one period because there were like different approaches. But from general point of view, whole Slovakia, like whole Slovak society, see positively Stefanik. All the parties in, in Slovakia, all the parts of the society, everybody is claiming Stefanik, Stefanik's legacy. And I think it's because he died so soon and he was not able to enter into political struggles of interwar Czechoslovakia. So on already in interwar Czechoslovakia, he was claimed by autonomists, by Hlinka's Slovak Popular Party, but also by the centralists, by agrarians. So now we have some kind of plastic hero we use in all the directions. And as I said before, that communists destroyed his statues all around Slovakia. Just a couple of them remained. So all those statues were rebuilt. And basically in every city and every town in Slovakia, you have Stefanik, Stefanik Square, Stefanik Statue, Stefanik Street. And it shows how important he is for Slovak memory. Not to ask the people at your public talks to do my job for me. But I am interested in what those excellent critical questions they asked were. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question, but I, I don't remember exactly because it was a long time ago. But I tried to let's say, critically present Stefanik's diplomatic strategies. Because sometimes he said, when he was speaking with Italian diplomats, he said one thing. When he was speaking with French diplomats, he said another thing, etc., etc. And so people were, I mean, they agreed with me. So this is his diplomatic strategy or how he was able to profit from his relations with women. He was a great romantic seducer. He was very interesting personality. So thanks to the support of several French or Italian women, he gained the support of, let's say, um, Corriera della Sera, the important Italian newspaper. So I was analyzing, critically analyzing his activities. And they were, they completely agreed with <laughs> with me. And I don't really remember exactly what were their questions, but I was just happy that they were able to critically analyze his activities and they were able to see him in larger context. Because from one point of view, he could be seen also as manipulator. And all, let's say he spent a lot of money for different purposes. He was very much in debt during the war. So I'm not hiding this part of his life, and it's not a problem. So that's within Slovakia. In the wider world, as, as you already mentioned, he's a relatively little-known figure. And you kind of run through the um, different language uh, historiography on, on him. I thought it was interesting when you brought up the Anglophone scholarship, because I, I will admit it took it was an embarrassingly long time of studying national myths in Czechoslovakia before I ever heard his name. So I think that might be maybe giving away part of the answer there. But how do you see the state of understanding of uh, Stefanik as a figure? And maybe if I could prod a little bit, where would you like to see it go in the future? That's a great question. And there is, I would say, several responses to your question. Like, let's say Slovak nationalists would say that, of course, like Czechs didn't want to show how successful Slovaks were. And maybe in some cases it's true. I'm not saying that it's completely false, but I would rather say that there are some pragmatic reasons of it. On national level, I think thanks to his premature death, 
this is one of the reasons why he became the national hero. But on international level, I think this is one of the reasons why he's not that much known. Simply because he was not able to have an important function in interwar Czechoslovakia. Like there were three leaders of Czechoslovak movement during the war. It was Masaryk, Stefanik, and Benesh. Already during the interwar period, thanks to Benesh activities, like this order changed. It was Masaryk, <laughs> Benesh, and Stefanik. That's one thing. And so, of course, Masaryk was the first president of Czechoslovakia. Benesh was its minister of foreign affairs for a very long time and its second president. So they have their international visibility was much stronger than Stefanik's one, who, whose career was really great, but very short. That's one reason. And another reason is that Stefanik didn't write his point of view on what happened during the World War I, and Benesh and Masaryk did. And of course, what they wrote was then translated into English, into French, uh, I don't know, maybe also into Italian. So then when historians were writing on the foundation of Czechoslovakia, of course, they used their memoirs. <laughs> their access to the sources was limited because of the Iron Curtain. Of course, like the contribution to the creation of Czechoslovakia was very strong political capital. And mainly Benesh, his memoirs that he wrote, he put himself forward in every aspect and he neglected Stefanik's successes. So, and this is obviously in English historiography on the creation of Czechoslovakia. Stefanik is always mentioned there, but he's mentioned there as the third person that, okay, he was great. He was an interesting personality. He was a great seducer, et cetera, et cetera. But he was not as important as Benesh and Masary. And this is something that I wanted to point out. And I think this is also interesting uh, from the point of view how Benesh built his political capital in interwar period. Because this is also a strategy and he used it. For example, there is a great example of Perotka article on Stefanik. Stefanik's death was the name of the article, and Perotka was eminent interwar journalist in interwar Czechoslovakia. And he criticized, he was very biased towards Stefanik. And then when Czech historians analyzed where he had those informations, they realized that it was Benesh who provided those informations to Perotka. So we should say that in an interwar period, Stefanik's memory was built on this official narrative that about great hero contributed to the creation of Czechoslovakia and it was very important, etc., etc. Um, but on the other hand, there was also this less visible narrative that was decreasing Stefanik's merits. And I think this is one of the reasons that Stefanik is not that much known abroad. But on the other hand, it's also normal because Masary and Benesh's political careers were much longer and more important. I think during the World War One, Stefanik's contribution to the foundation of Czechoslovakia was crucial. That's a lot of food for thought. We're kind of getting to the end of our time here today. So before we head out, I wanted to thank you again, uh, Dr. Kashinian, for coming on the podcast. And um, we wanted to ask if you had anything that you're working on right now you want our listeners to keep an eye out for. I'm stuck in military history <laughs> right now, or of a cultural military history. I'm working on French-Italian military missions in interwar Czechoslovakia, and from broader point of view on uh, crossings of military cultures between, uh, let's say, East Central Europe and, and Western Europe or 
more particularly France and Italy. So this is my main project now, but we will see <laughs> how it'll play out. Well, hopefully um, it's a, it's as meteoric as Stephanie's rise without the, the sudden fall. Shinya, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast. It was a pleasure to have you. I thank you. Thank you for our listeners and good luck with your podcast. The Slavic Connection is part of the Texas Podcast Network. The conversations changing the world. Brought to you by the University of Texas at Austin. The opinions expressed in this program represent the views of the hosts and the guests and not of the University of Texas at Austin. For more information, please visit us online at slobxradio.com. Thank you. The Center for Russian, East European, and Eurasian Studies condemns the Russian Federation's military invasion of Ukraine. We stand in support of the people of Ukraine who are fighting for their lives and sovereignty in the face of the unjustified invasion by Russian military forces. Yeah, thank you. It was a good conversation. Um, we, I don't know if we actually, I'm thinking back, Michelle, tell me if I'm wrong. I don't know if we've had a specifically like Slovak focused episode, maybe ever.